Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to bringing state political and educational leaders to you to talk about the education issues of the day that's important to our school districts. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Today we will be taking your calls as always and also we'll have our chat room open or you can just listen to the show via your computer. Uh, Christy, would you please explain the process for our listeners? I would love to. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, everybody. Now, if you want to call in and ask a question, just dial one 347 989 If you want to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone, and we'll put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and if you have questions or comments, we'll pass them on to our speaker. Log on to the chat room. You will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. Uh, the NJEA, New Jersey Education Association, is the state's largest teacher union and for years has been among the, most, the state's most influential groups when it comes to enacting education policy in New Jersey. Since Governor Christie has taken office, the NJEA has had many disagreements with the governor on education and public policy. In his state of state speech, the governor brought up the issues of tenure reform as well as the practice of LIFO, last in, first out, issues which I'm sure the NJEA has concerns about. While NJSBA many times takes different stances on the education issues than the New Jersey Education Association, particularly those issues that deal with uh, the eternal battle between labor and management, I thought that on this show it's important that we bring all views together and to get the perspective of the teachers' union as we move with education reform in New Jersey. So I'm very pleased this morning to have with us Mr. Vincent Giordano, Executive Director of NJEA. Welcome, Vince. Well, thank you, and thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, Vince, uh, before we get started, uh, just tell us how long you've been with NJAA, and I believe you were also a teacher. A little bit about your background. Oh, boy. Ray, you're dating me here. Uh, <laughs> I've been employed at NJEA for 42 years, Wow. and um, I started as a teacher. I taught up in uh, about five years up in Upper Saddle River in Bergen County, and a one-year stint in uh, Paramus, also in Bergen County, and then I took a little part-time stint with NJEA and uh, off and running. The rest is, rest is history, as they say. And NJEA, how many uh, members do you have in your association? Um, about 205,000. Okay. That's all-inclusive. That's uh, teachers, support staff, uh, retirees, and student members. Okay. Um, let's get into some of the issues. Uh, Governor Christie has made it pretty clear that uh, education reform is a priority or one of his priorities. Um Let's get school choice is one of his big uh, pushes that he thinks is he's an advocate for, and the issue I think that both the NJSBA and NJEA agree on uh, is the Opportunity Scholarship Act. Um, what's your view on the Opportunity Scholarship Act? It hasn't been passed yet, but each year it seems to get closer. And yeah. why do you oppose it? Yeah. Well, let me give you just a quick uh, pre- preface. Uh, NJEA has always supported. Uh, public choice. We supported the charter school law. We supported interdistrict public school choice. We supported uh, uh, intra-district uh, public school uh, options like vocational schools, magnet schools, etc. So we've been pretty much on board. We've even recently uh, supported something known as the Urban Hope Act and uh, and uh, what that's all about. But 
uh, all of those are public uh, in, in, in nature. So where we draw the line of distinction is we oppose private school uh, vouchers and voucher schemes, I'll use the term. Um, and this um, Opportunity uh, Scholarship Act, from our point of view, is really just is nothing more than a voucher system in very very light disguise, and uh, we're we're opposed to it because um, we feel that public funds, public tax dollars, should be uh, used for public purposes, uh, and certainly in uh, in terms of supporting our educational system in the state. So, uh, this bill um, would provide. Uh, uh, they call them scholarships, but I'll, I'll translate that in my, in my words uh, to vouchers uh, to parents to uh, to uh, take their kids out of the public schools and send them to uh, other other types of uh, institutions and facilities, uh, you know, private schools, parochial schools, etc. And um, the way it works um, is basically that uh, private uh, companies, private uh, uh, sector uh, corporations, uh, will provide the money for the. Uh, the voucher um, uh, slash scholarship, and in effect get a tax write-off, a tax break. So it's really kind of just a wash-through, you know, um, I'll even say backdoor approach to a voucher system. So we we try not to draw uh, really too many lines in the sand on issues. Uh, we have an open mind on some of the other ed reform issues. We've been trying to actually be as proactive and cooperative mm -hmm. as we can, but on the on this issue we're pretty – Pretty uh, solid on it. It's a core value, and I, I think um, I think we're lined up with the school boards on this. I don't think the school boards. Uh, are I, we draw a line in saying that using uh, public funds for private schools. Uh, right. So the, there's one. It's true, and, and, and I, the, uh, I believe also in this bill. Now, obviously, there's probably a bill being drafted as you and I speak, but I think the last uh, iteration I saw also included people who are already in private schools would receive vouchers. I think about 25% of the money was supposed to also be available to uh, parents who already have their kids in private schools. So what's that about? That just comes off as a kind of a, a bonus. That's not to, you know, allow parents to, you know, make decisions, et cetera. Those decisions were already made. And uh, this would simply put that money, uh, you know, into their pockets. Um, and, again, we would be – Clearly opposed to any use of public money, taxpayer, ta taxpayer money, towards private businesses, and I will call private schools, private institutions, parochial schools. They're they're a form of businesses. They're they're private, and uh, we shouldn't use public money. All right. And uh, the other thing that uh, issue that uh, the governor likes to push is charter schools, uh, which, as you noted earlier, are uh, public entities. Where is the stance? Because there's been a big change, I, I would say, in the last two or three years as to the, the community's perception of charter schools. There's been some outcry in some towns that it's not a good allocation of resources, particularly if the school is succeeding. Uh, maybe the community should have a say in it. Uh, what's the NJA's thoughts on charter schools? I know the legislature is thinking of redoing the law. Yeah. Well, I think you have to do a very, very quick flashback here. We support NJA supported the original charter school legislation. Um, we we had some differences about it, and we worked very closely with the then sponsors and uh, members of the legislature. And so we got the current charter school law. It, it is charter schools are public schools, so we have supported charter schools. We actually represent members in uh, a number of the charter schools. We've organized members in charter schools, et cetera. So it's not charter schools per se that we're we're hung up about at all. Um, the concern I have is I just happened to be doing a little research. Uh, separate and apart from this call, actually, on charter schools. And 
um, I found out that there could be as many as 146 charter schools on the books by the end of this school year. If you take the number that is already in place and the 40-something that has been proposed, and I saw, I guess, just yesterday, maybe six of them were approved. Right. Um, so, you know, it, uh, charter schools were initially designed, as I understand it, to be um, laboratories of uh, uh, educational experimentation. Let's try things in these schools that are not traditionally done in, in your more uh, uh, traditional public schools, et cetera. And if these are good ideas and they work, let's transport that information into the into the public schools and make the public schools uh, stronger and better. The problem is that concept and that theory just has never worked. I don't think there's anything, any connection with what goes on in the charter schools as a transition to uh, programs in, in the public schools. So they tend to be pretty much, um, you know, just another entity. The other the other concern, if I may on this one, right, the other concern is that some people, and I think our governor and some legislators um, uh, suffer from this ailment, they think charter schools are some kind of silver bullet. Like if you're not happy with your schools and there are some struggling schools in New Jersey, but we know we have the best educational system uh, in the country. But, of course, there are some that are, are having a more difficult time, and generally are inner-city uh, urban schools. The, the, there was a study done in 2009. It was the uh, Credo study out of Stanford University. It was the most extensive, most in-depth study ever done on charter schools, and nationally there are probably upwards of 3,000 uh, charter schools. And... Um, to debunk this thing that somehow they are the solution to public education where there are some uh, issues and some struggling schools, 17% in their in their survey did an extensive uh, survey, longitudinal survey comparing these charter schools to the traditional schools in the same uh, in the same areas. Right, 17% they found did better on academic uh, standards and academic uh, measurements. 37% about the same, and 46% did worse, far worse in many instances. So if you take the 37 and the 46, 83% of them did about the same or worse, and 17% did better. So it is not that we should be using charter schools as some salvation to the public schools. Uh, to the contrary, uh, there are some excellent charter schools, and we've never you know, said otherwise, and there are some you know, that are pretty much on par with a pub, regular public school, and there are some that are horrendous and terrible. Would you support, uh, or the NJA, would they support like changing the monitoring laws? Or I know the legislature is looking at that, looking at how we monitor them to make sure that yes. they're successful. Yeah, we would, uh, we would support uh, closer scrutiny and monitoring of the charter schools, starting with who sets them up and operates them. Um, I've seen some information recently that, uh, is very uh, disconcerting, very uh, concerning to us about who who some of the people are that set up the the charter schools and, and start to operate them. And uh, I think there needs to be a much you know greater scrutiny from from the inception stage, from the uh, review of applications to the overall monitoring process. Uh, uh, we would su we would support uh, we would support that kind of a concept for sure. I'm talking with uh, Vince Giordano, Executive Director of NJEA. If you want to call in a question, dial 1-347-989-8904 and then press 1 to indicate that you have a question and uh, Christy on the switchboard will get your question. Let's, okay, well, let's move on to a question. That was great because we, we, the two associations are pretty much in agreement on a lot of uh, choice issues. Uh, not so much on tenure reform. And the governor did make tenure – he 
yeah. singled it out. One, one of the areas he singled out during his State of State speech was tenure reform. Right. Before we get into all the different policies on it, why do you feel we need tenure from the NJA's perspective? Well, you know, tenure has been on the books in our state for about 100 years. The original purpose and reason for a tenure law was to insulate uh, school-employed teachers at that time in particular uh, from, um, you know, from political, uh, uh, undue political uh, pressures, from uh, nepotism, from from interference in, in the hiring and firing process and in terms of uh, letting teachers have some level of freedom to you know, uh, I guess under the heading of some level of academic freedom without worrying about what their local uh, politician or somebody down in the state legislature here thinks about uh, what's being uh, said as long as it's within bounds and it's within the curriculum and all the rest of that. So those were the reasons uh, for tenure in the first place 100 years ago. I don't think that there's any less concern about that. We, we, we certainly don't have any less concern about political interference. If anything, if you ask me, there's probably greater reason and concern uh, to maintain a law that allows for a uh, fair uh, dismissal, a due process uh, for a tenured teacher. This is after someone has put in three years, uh, the most, the easiest formula, there are a few little variations, but three years and a day mm-hmm. under the current law. And uh, what it says is if you're going to uh, terminate that teacher, uh, you've got to have some reason. You've had them here for three years, uh, presumably with good evaluations and presumably on uh, recommendations from um, administration, from you know uh, department chairs to building principals to superintendents. So why is this teacher now not being uh, viewed as effective? We're not suggesting, by the way, and I don't know if you want me to get into this yet, but uh, uh, that there's no need to make any adjustments. We've actually put a bill in that does go into some. Yeah, I want to get uh, to that in a, a minute. Yeah, but but I think the reasons to have it are are the same reasons uh, that were present at the time they put this uh, tenure law on the books, and I would say even probably needed more so in our in our current political. Uh, you don't think that there's been more laws that protect uh, employees, not just in teaching, but in all professions, uh, from arbitrary firings, and um, I guess no, I, I would even go, you know, people say to me, if tenure is so good, why is it not in other fields? I mean, pretty well, much it's only um, in the education field. You get no argument from me. Maybe it should be. Uh, that, you know, we, I don't I don't think we would say you shouldn't have tenure in other, in other occupations. Um, but, but on this issue of... Um, uh, what was your? Let me just get your question clear because I, I want said to that there seems that there's more job protections now for not just teachers yeah, but no, for other employees from arbitrary firings. You no, know I don't think so. And here's the best and simplest example. We also have the uh, converse of somebody achieving a tenure status is uh, a non-tenure teacher. So that's someone within their first three years, generally three years of employment. I think, as you know, and I certainly know, uh, there are virtually no rights. Uh, when it comes to dismissal of a non-tenured teacher. A school board, through its recommendation process and through its administration, can um, terminate the employment of a non-tenured teacher for virtually any reason or no reason other than if they you know, they were to uh, cross over the line in terms of uh, uh, legal, uh, legal protected rights, uh, interference with, you know, uh, right. they do it on the basis of race, creed, or you know, uh, sexual orientation or those kinds of things, but otherwise they have a pretty free hand. So I don't, I don't know why, 
I'll put this one to you. I don't know why you would say there's more protection. There's virtually no protection for non-tenure. That's the difference between tenure and non-tenure. Well, I I think sometimes uh, in those situations in the first three years, making a commitment, a decision for, and you'll disagree with me on this one, but for the life of the remaining tenure of the teacher in that school district is a very uh, big decision. And a lot of times they probably will say it's a good teacher, but they still need some work. Uh, but I'm not ready to give them tenure yet. So uh, yeah. your well, argument might the, be you, you filter out a lot of the poorer teachers in the first two or three years of their existence, yeah. oh, I guess. Sure, those are the answers or the reasons that are uh, that are usually given. But uh, I'm going to uh, – I don't want to make this a debate between us. No, I, no, I don't uh, either. respect you and like you a lot. But I'll just say this on the uh, issue of um, the, the, the non-tenure teachers – they basically have no no rights whatsoever. And what do we have when we get to a tenure status? And I, I heard you use the expression, and you 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 correctly anticipated. I would not this. I would not agree that it then becomes an appointment and it's a lifetime position. Well, we do strongly disagree. There's no action taken by the board to say, and you are hereby appointed for life. It is a it is a demarcation point between the status of non-tenure, where you can be dismissed for virtually any reason or no reason and having some cause or reason uh, and due process to uh, terminate you after three years of successful, I assume, or else somebody's not doing their job, successful, uh, satisfactory, or even outstanding performance. So this thing about lifetime tenure, the board can at any point in time after a person gets tenure, if they don't think they're doing the job or they're not meeting the expectations, they can do the appropriate evaluations uh, through their administration. They can then take uh, uh, an action. The superintendent can make a recommendation to the board. Tenure charges can be filed. And I know a lot is made about why aren't there more tenure charges. Well, I think on that one you're asking the wrong guy. I don't I don't get to sit around and decide whether to file tenure charges in, in, in the state or in any school district. Others in positions uh, within the board, board of ed uh, get to make those determinations. And uh, I will sneak in here. The usual argument is, well, it takes too long and it costs too much and it may not be worth the administrative energy to to press those kinds of cases. I would find I would find fault with that theory, but at least that's the one that has traditionally or usually been raised. So we did put a bill in that said, first of all, add a fourth year so you'll have even a little more time. Put that year number, first year in place as a as a mentoring year, uh, we call it a residency year, So, um, that, and give that teacher all the help they can in that first year. It's the critical year in their, in their employment, in my opinion. And, um, you know, after you do everything to give that person every chance of success, then you evaluate them for an additional three years, and then you put them on a tenure uh, a status. And, again, what does that mean? It means if you now are not – satisfied, or if they've taken a bad turn, that can happen, um, you should do your evaluations, and uh, I think everybody has pretty much come to the conclusion maybe you, you might have one bad year ineffective, but if you have two ineffective years in a row, I've said publicly, I said it when I spoke at the school board <laughs> convention this year, and I said it in the press, then uh, the district ought to act to terminate that teacher, and and we should do what we're supposed to do as a union, which is to provide that teacher with due process and uh, and representation, and uh, that matter would then be decided through a uh, a process which we have 
significantly in our proposed bill shortened, uh, drastically shortened, taken out the appeal steps on it, which is where a lot of the time and money go, and um, suggested it be done through uh, employment arbitrators, the best that we can uh, determine. Let everybody, let school boards, NJEA, maybe principals, have a say in who these arbitrators should be so there's nobody stacking the deck. And then... Um, uh, let that arbitrator hold a hearing, do it efficiently, and, and render a ruling as to whether that teacher no longer is fit to teach in that particular school district. I don't know. I think the school boards has given this a little thought, and I think they're not as opposed as they might have initially been, but um, I know there was the you know school boards wanted to have these five-year renewable contracts. Right. But, uh, uh, we don't think that's the way to go. We think I, I think the, the difference in philosophy is that we probably don't really basically believe in tenure uh we look at the five-year contract. Um, so it's a kind of a philosophical difference that you and I will probably not agree on this yeah, morning. Yeah, I don't think we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, let's so get to some of the legislation right. that's out there. You have your bill that you, you proposed. Senator Ruiz, uh, for, because she's chair of the Senate Ed Committee, has a bill yeah. that she says she's going to be dropping in again uh, or amending. Uh, I'm not really sure what, what it's going to be. What were your concerns about her original bill? Well, there were a lot. There were many concerns, and we had many meetings. Uh, let me say, first of all, on behalf of Senator Ruiz, she was very open to dialogue and discussions. We met up in her office uh, several times over the last six months or so, and had, I thought, very good, positive uh, exchanges about her views vis-a-vis -vis, um, ours on this whole tenure issue. But her, uh, it would take a long time to go into all the uh, components of her bill that we would find for. Oh, just give us the one thing that troubled yeah. you the most. I'll give you a kind of a, a headline version, or or just the one, because uh, yeah. I okay. I know there's a lot her of aspects bill, to her, her bill. Yeah, that her bill would uh, first of all, uh, this is the one that I think is most mo most uh, questionable from our point of view. It would say if you have a teacher, tenure teacher, and you do the evaluations and you get two ineffective evaluation ratings in um, in a row, that's annual. That's for the whole year, two ineffective ratings. You don't do what I said a little while ago. You don't move to terminate that teacher under her bill. You take tenure away from that teacher, and you let them continue in their employment. So what problems are there with that? One is, um, I don't know if you still have kids in school, or, but yes, I have. would not want to be the parent who finds out that my kid this year uh, for the second or third grade, critical time in their uh, learning process, is uh, is going to be assigned to a teacher who the district didn't think highly enough to keep under a tenure status. They removed the person's tenure status. I think parents will have a big problem with that uh, whole concept. And secondly, once you remove the tenure status and then continue the employee, they become non-tenure. And then we know what I said earlier, non-tenure teachers, if they want to dismiss them, would have no rights to uh, uh, file a claim. And, and her bill makes it clear that after that process, uh, if the person doesn't correct the, the deficiencies, they would be terminated as non-tenure teachers are today. So there's one part of it that we have considerable. Let's, let's uh, switch a little bit because it's tied in with that, uh, Vince. Uh, we're talking with Vince Giordano uh, from the New Jersey Education Association. He's the executive director. If you have a question, dial 1-347-989-8904 and then press 1 and uh, we will get your question on the switchboard and put you online. Or if you're in the chat room, just write it down and I'll I'll read it. Um, 
the governor also made a point of mentioning the practice of LIFO, last in, first out. And in this case, um, I guess it kind of pits two different groups of your own members. Uh, and it's basing decisions when a district has to, through maybe aid cuts or whatever, budgetary reasons, has to lay off staff, that uh, seniority is the primary um, uh, ruling as the, the the primary way that they make the decision. What's your uh, why is that important? Well, I think it ties directly to the whole uh, connection to tenure. Um, right. uh, with tenure, you get your uh, seniority uh, also under the current law. If a district can determine to pick and choose who they want to keep. Um, uh, based on uh, uh, their assessment or their point of view or their determination, uh, other uh, um, other than um, the seniority or length of time an individual has been in the district, it basically erodes the whole concept of tenure. Uh, I you give me tenure, I spend uh, ten or fifteen years in the district. I have my tenure. I've gotten all good evaluations, et cetera. And uh, I, uh, as I understand the position on this uh, mm-hmm. bill that the governor suggests. It would mean that if the administration thinks that they have uh, a better teacher based on whatever they're basing it on, and I don't know that that would always have to be proper and legitimate, uh, you know, consideration. That's what. That's why we have the tenure protection again. So it is knit together tightly, uh, uh, seniority and tenure. We would say that that that's just going to erode the tenure system. That's a backdoor attack on tenure, and we. We support tenure. We've made changes in it. We've expanded the time. We have put other procedures in to shorten the time, to cut the expense, et cetera. So we shouldn't, at the same time, be eroding it through a uh, uh, an attack on the current seniority system. If those teachers are not doing the job, that should have been identified somewhere along the way. Or, or if they're not doing the job, somebody should take whatever steps to I, I deal think, with uh, and I, I don't want to speak for the governor, but I, I probably I think uh, – or the commissioner in this case, but I think the the feeling is if you have you get down to a few teachers, and we're not even saying none of them are doing a, a bad job. We're just saying we have a hundred teachers on staff. We can only have ninety five, and we want to take the ninety five best in our opinion. Uh, yeah. We want to take those ninety five, not just take the ninety five who've been there the longest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the argument I, uh, I yeah. would see. Well, I understand. I'm, that's, I'm glad you you clarified it, but I understand fully what uh, what. The commissioner, the governor, and I guess the school boards uh, supports that, uh, from what I understand. Um, listen, we're going to have another one of those uh, areas. We'll we'll agree to disagree. We okay. can see that if you eliminate the tenure as the determining factor, you open the door to all those other issues and concerns that um, are uh, tied to the the reason we have tenure. They they just go too tightly. It's a core value to your association. And it is, let me tell you, it is also, I, I acknowledge, I'm a pretty open and candid guy, I think you know that, I acknowledge that that one is a little dicier, it's a little trickier in terms of, you know, the discussion, and uh, um, we should, you know, we should all continue to have some dialogue and try to figure out if there are ways to find mutuality in a system that would not erode uh, the current seniority system, but would give... Um, those who think they they need to have that that other relief some 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 leeway. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. I but we we would always be, uh, continue to have a conversation and a discussion about it. And who knows? You know, conversation's good. Discussion sometimes it re- it resolves problems. 
Well, you know, before we can even change tenure or maybe even LIFO, um, we probably have to look at how we evaluate the staff. And that has to be fair if you're going to change – I guess Absolutely. you would agree that if you're going to change the tenure laws or even modify them, the teacher evaluations have to be uh, probably the best that they've ever been. The governor wants to move the tying them to student achievement. Now, yep. measuring that, I guess we might have questions on how you measure that. Uh, what's your concerns in that area? Well, uh, we have some other – we have some foundational concerns, I'll say, or some threshold concerns on it. Um, we're willing to, and we put in legislation, in fact, that, that does uh, move in the direction of changing the evaluation system. The problem or the concern I have is that I don't think people who make suggestions uh, in some of these areas really know what currently exists. We have in the state of New Jersey, I believe, without question, one of the most extensive teacher evaluation uh, statutes and regulations. It, it dictates pretty much a blueprint and a, a step-by-step, uh, you know, how, how proper teacher evaluation should be done. And I think, I'm not sure everybody knows that. I think when this topic comes up, we leave the public sometimes thinking, wow, we don't have any, we don't evaluate teachers, no wonder, we, blah, 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 blah. I, that's, that's really just wrong. There's a very extensive uh, set of uh, regulations that stem from some statutory provisions, not to mention at the local level, school boards, school administrators uh, also uh, uh, engage in uh, steps uh, in a uh, evaluation system. I think the current evaluation system, if this is the important part, if fully and properly implemented, doesn't necessarily need significant change. Maybe there's a tweak or two we could talk about. The problem is either people don't know what's already in place or they're not using it the way it was intended. And that one we're not going to wear as the NJEA because we don't do the evaluating. So if Right, but uh, it will affect you, uh, your membership. Anyway. Oh, it certainly will affect will, us. I'm not because suggesting the governor we have no interest is, in it. It's significant. Right. I, I and we have the, made proposals, by the way, to increase the number of evaluations, to make them more meaningful, to... Uh, put more things into the uh, statute that will be required in the evaluation of a teacher. You asked the one specific question about use of uh, standardized test scores, and um, we're just not um, ready to go there to the extent that the administration and some others uh, are, are talking about. Uh, the current regulations that I just mentioned on teacher evaluation that people tend to not want to recognize, I guess, they already say, it is required that pupil progress indicators be part of a teacher's evaluation. So I don't even know why anybody thinks they need more more leeway or more uh, um, enabling uh, language in either statute or, uh, or regulation. That's what it says. I think that's almost a verbatim quote. Pupil progress indicators shall be uh, included as part of teacher's evaluation, okay? Be that as may, the, governor, the commissioner is pushing that the teacher's evaluation – is 50% based on student achievement, whether that's a standardized well, test or some other uh, well, I some think they model district. Down, though, don't they and say I, 35 is standardized test and 15 is other? But we have a lot, you have a lot of your members who don't are teaching and maybe doing an excellent job, but there's no standardized test in their we have lots of in their who, subject. Right, you're absolutely uh, right. Um, I asked. Let me tell you something. I asked that question. I said, well, what about all the the subject matter areas, which are basically all of them with the exception of uh, math and uh, I think of some of the language arts 
areas where there's where the standardized tests apply. What about all of those? And I get kind of a blank stare, and then somebody will say, well, we'll have to work out those details. That's a monumental task to start developing legitimate uh, research-based uh, systems to evaluate people who are not currently um, under the system that uh, exists now in terms of standardized test scores. Now, uh, and the I other point, I'm just, I'm sorry, well, but you keep this going. Is very important to us. The other point is, uh, uh, from a research point of view, nobody thinks the current uh, standardized tests are legitimate in terms of evaluating students, let alone teachers. So why would we agree to use an invalid uh, system that hasn't been proven or tested, that doesn't apply to 90% of the school employees, and say, okay, we think that uh, we ought to use 50% of that for student evaluation. Makes I, think, sense. I think the, uh, the Department of Ed actually uh, is probably realizing that it's, it's a heavy lift because they've slowed down the process. Originally, I think it was going to be the upcoming school year that we were going to have all new teacher evaluation models, but it looks like it's going to go at a sl little bit slower pace. And I think it gets to the point that you and I were discussing is trying to get the correct student assessment. Uh, if they could, and that's a – if is a big word, I guess, to you in this case, yeah, right. if they had uh, a way that measured – could connect the student achievement to the right. teacher, um, would would you be a little bit happier if it, was, if it was something that could be proven to you? Well, I would say that at that point, at least there would be some uh, some reason and some rationale and a little research that supports the use of standardized uh, student test scores uh, connecting uh, to a teacher's evaluation. There would be at least some legitimacy to the to the concept. Uh, then we should talk about uh, how much, what weight. I mean, I don't know where 50% came from or whatever the breakdown of that, the 35 and 15% uh, state and then local. We think that we ought to use multiple measures. We've said this from day one. Multiple measures takes into account um, uh, observation of a teacher takes into account uh, portfolios of the students takes into account direct observation by the uh, supervisors involved. Uh, there, you know, there can be you know a half a dozen or more different factors that go into a teacher's evaluation and should go into a teacher's evaluation. Now, is there some place in there for some piece of that being indicators or scores on uh, test scores? Once they get it straight, once they you know, clean them up and everybody agrees they're fairly legitimate, then that discussion should be had. Uh, but right now, I don't know where 50% came from. It came from uh, somebody made it from whole cloth. It just got, was a number that was picked. I, there is no research that says here is the best system for evaluating teachers. You should have 50% of it based on student assessment, and here's why. Here's the research that supports that. The reason that nobody has said it is there is no research uh, along those lines. And if I said it should be... Uh, 15%, there's no research that says that either. So I'd be making up another bogus number. Right. People have said, well, if you don't want 50, what would you want? I said, I, we don't have a number because we're not going to play that game. We're not going to make up bogus numbers to match other bogus numbers just because they're lower. Legislators have said to me, well, what about 25%? I said, where, where's that coming from? Do you have some information and well, I think research the, that I don't the, have? And I, I'm not going to... I'm, Go ahead, I want to speak to the governor because I'm not sure what the 50%. I know it was in his task force came up with that number. Um, I think the the concern was that we need to have – He was saying have, that a long time before the task yeah, force, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, and I think the concern is that we just have to have 
evaluate teachers' performance somehow on the student performance and the student growth. I will agree with you that that, that, that that's a easy thing to say. It's probably a much harder thing to do. Right. Um, and and it's certainly not something you're going to put into place in the time frame that they originally uh, suggested. And I think and, you're and right, they have backed I, off on that time frame. Well, you and know it, what? Not yet I officially. I just was with a meeting, and Chris uh, was there from the uh, uh, Department of Ed. It was the Lee meeting, mm-hmm. and um, he said that has not yet officially been determined. Uh, but I understand they they're finding it will be totally impossible to stay on the time frame they're on. And I'm not sure why they didn't know that when they started. It's a pretty major uh, project they've uh, undertaken. Okay. All right, I have a question from a, a caller. So I was okay. going to switch topics. John? Oh, yes. Uh, hello. How are you doing, Thank John? You. Okay, how are you, uh, Ray? Well, Richard, uh, John, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Giordano, for uh, for taking the time to be with us today. I just Pleasure. happen to think Giordano uh, is a great winemaker as well. So You know, <laughs> I'm glad you know that. I actually buy it whenever I get a chance. It's good wine. <laughs> it is great stuff. John, <laughs> good bakeries, too, in Newark. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a, a couple of questions. Uh, one, when, when I was elected, I found that so many people were so mad about the NJEA uh, political ads, and they felt that they added to an inflammatory environment, and we couldn't discuss anything rationally. And there were some ideas that I heard from the NJEA that I wanted to kind of propose along the way, and I can get nowhere because as soon as I mention the name, people yell at me, literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was wondering, do you have a, a, a refined policy for the coming couple of years uh, where perhaps we can make better progress in communicating uh, so that we're not doing that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, uh, that, let me, that's let me, one. I have a couple other questions. Well, no, John, uh, I don't have much time to take a lot of questions. Okay. Well, let okay. me. Uh, but right. that's a great point that John is making. Uh, listen, I would absolutely welcome and embrace the idea that we could all sit down as uh, reasonable, rational adults and have uh, open dialogue. We're talking about our kids for crying out loud and what's best yes. for them. So it is. And uh, but but you know, unfortunately, uh, the the. I've got to give you a little bit of our view. The air has been kind of poisoned for the last two years. We don't get a chance. You know, we get hit over the head, beat up, demonized. Uh, you know, teachers are, are to blame for uh, the uh, the uh, fall of the stock market, and I'm being facetious. but And it's hard to sit and just listen and take that when we know that our teachers in this state, on balance, on average, do the best job of any anybody in the country. New Jersey ranks right up the top of the scale in everything. So it it gets to be a very difficult conversation. But having said that, I agree with you. We should should, uh, leave our guns at the door and we should try to have some uh, more, you know, uh, logical, sensible, reasonable conversation. I think Ray knows that that's my approach to life generally. Uh, We're not looking to make uh, you know, let's make uh, love, not war, kind of thing. Right? <laughs> John, can you ask exactly. a question? Uh, John, I have to put you on hold because yes. there's someone else coming on. Okay. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you heard the state of the state, um, and I'm tying this to education funding. The governor mentioned proposing a 10% uh, tax cut. Were you concerned that that might um, affect school funding? 
Vince? Uh, yes, I am concerned on two levels with the proposal. First of all, it, it's just totally unbalanced and unfair. It favors the, you know, the wealthy, uh, the millionaire class again. It, uh, you know, it gives them savings. Uh, they, I think I saw examples. If you're a millionaire, you might save seven thousand dollars, and if you are uh, somebody making fifty thousand dollars, our our middle class uh, uh, somebody might save a couple of hundred dollars. So wh- why is that a good uh, plan to uh, to implement? And that's in terms of the, the across-the-board nature of it. But just in general, the threshold piece of it is we need to find ways to generate more revenues uh, to support our, our public uh, schools and our public uh, services. We can't just keep cutting them uh, away. And every time you cut something, there's an impact. We're losing programs in schools. We're losing jobs. We've lost 10,000 jobs in the uh, in the education area over the last two years. Um, so yeah, we have a problem uh, with the idea of uh, the 10 percent uh, cut, especially the way it was structured across the board uh, in terms of uh, the inequities for our hardworking middle class people. And I'll say are hardworking millionaires, but they are millionaires. So <laughs> why do they get seven thousand dollars and somebody else gets two hundred dollars because right. they already make a million dollars? We're not. Yeah, we are totally opposed to the okay. idea. All and right. Are, to your question specifically, we are very concerned. Where will the money come from to fill the ten percent gap? And we are very concerned that they will look at the school uh, the school funding formula again. There have been suggestions that the governor is going to come up with something to try to get around the Supreme Court's decision again from last year. So the answer is yes, uh, certainly we have concerns about that, right? All right. I have another question, Dan. You have – you're going back to the pay – you have a question on pay freezes, which I right. – yeah. Can you ask just, it just quickly? Yeah, just, just real quickly. In the in the last two years, um, the NGA's position, at least as I understood it, to, to some of their um, uh, local um, – Unions was, you know, don't take the freeze if you negotiated it, and 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 I can understand your position. But during that same time when we were having difficult times and districts were having difficult times, and we wanted to work together, why didn't the NJA offer their membership a discount on their dues, a twenty five percent discount or something okay. for a couple of years to help okay. people get I'll through win. that? All right, uh, Dan, I'm going to put you on hold. You can listen to the yeah, Dan. Good question. Um, Let's start with NJEA n- did not take any position supporting or not supporting uh, our members at the bargaining table taking a dues freeze. The NJEA, and I think you know, my friends at the school boards are well aware of this, we do not dictate every specific piece of what goes on in the local bargaining process. We assist our locals. We provide research. We have staff available to negotiate. But the decision to take a wage freeze or not is strictly and absolutely uh, a local one. It is actually kind of a further outgrowth of local control in in the state of New Jersey. So um, NJEA, I I would challenge anybody to find a statement or a a position uh, that was ever taken uh, where we said uh, that our members uh, should not take a wage freeze. Some of them did. And what we said is that should be worked out locally. There are conditions and and the circumstances which might uh, favor that or might make it a a good idea. There are other situations where maybe it wasn't something that needed to be uh, considered. So uh, that was – we never had a position. And uh, briefly to his second point about uh, a decrease for your members. Good. I'm glad that uh, that's come up actually. Um, 
this may be letting a rabbit out of the hat uh, prematurely, but we are we are at the last stage uh, of uh, implementing a uh, a whole uh, a, um, a not a reduction, a freeze, if you will, uh, uh, on our dues. We are not going to. We're moving toward it. It has to go through one more level. We're a very democratic organization, as is the school boards, and. Uh, so if that goes through, uh, we will uh, not see a dues increase for our members uh, for the next two school years. So we did exactly what Ray is uh, suggesting. We looked around and we said, pretty pretty bad economy for our members. Uh, they are just now suffering from the additional costs of the uh, health insurance, and uh, they are uh, uh, seeing uh, you know higher uh, contributions in pensions. So as an organization, we've got to step up and, uh, try to help them out here. So uh, we we are moving that process forward. I'm very optimistic that it'll be in place for the next two years. That we will not have an increase in dues. Yeah, actually, it was Dan who suggested that. I didn't suggest that. Um, no, I know. Uh, <laughs> Vince, that brings us to the end of the the interview. Our time is up. Uh, I oh, that's too bad. This is great. <laughs> I could have spoke to you a little longer. We'll, we'll bring you back. Because I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this, Ray. So thank you All very right. much. So I'd like to thank Vince Giordano, Executive Director NJA, for joining me. Thanks. Uh, our okay. next show will be uh, February 10th, and then we'll have a special guest. I'll let you know then. And that brings us to the end of Conversation New Jersey Education. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. And that, as I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. Goodbye. Am I off, Ray? I guess so.
And I would have to say, I think there's some truth. There's some truth there, but there's some truth that that's every job. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Sir. You know, and I actually think most districts would not fire a good teacher at all. I think you might get the political thing. But you know what? The political thing is not necessarily with the boards. It's with the principal. It's so funny to know all the callers. <laughs> it's getting like... Yeah. You know, I don't think Dan called. John always listens. I had still had my snow shovels out side and side of the house and I put them in the house and then got the snow <laughs> And I still have one shovel still outside. My son used to shovel the bath for Matt Adams. <laughs> because he didn't do it until a day later. I'm not doing the bath in the yard. You are. Not on my schedule. I said, you don't know, shovel snow on your schedule. You shovel, you shovel snow when it snows. You can get really lazy. I, I, I definitely going to invite him back. I'm going to invite him and Marie. 